Hello and welcome to the Dog Hack. A podcast series where we interview dog professionals. So today we're joined by Pam McKinnon from Talking Dog Scent Work. Hi Pam, how are you? Hi Chris, I'm really good, how are you? Not too bad, thank you. Uh, you were dog sitting the last couple of days, I understand. Oh, do you know, last couple of weeks has been so lovely. Um, the My great friends who bred one of my dogs, my dog Cherry, the Labrador, so they have her mum and her sister, and then what we call the adopted sisters, so they have another another Labrador. So I've been looking after them while they've been on holiday, so it's been fantastic. Labrador-tastic. Labrador-tastic. Yeah. Where, where's that been? Are you based up in Scotland? No, we're based in Peterborough. Peterborough. Peterborough and the beautiful Fens. Oh. Oh, yes. I don't know why I had it in my head that you're up in Scotland. Well, because I am Scottish. That would probably be part of it, yeah. That would be part of it, <laughs> yes. So so I, I moved to the south about, oh, 20 years ago in 2000. I came right. down here. So, um, so yes. My mum my mom says that I speak English now, but I still <laughs> think I sound like a Scot. <laughs> no, there's, there's definitely a Scottish accent. A uh, twang there. Yes. <laughs> Um, so you've mentioned Cherry, your Labrador. Is that your only dog or do you have more? Uh, no, I've got Cherry the Lab and I've got um, Ella, who's a little Jack Russell Terrier, a little rescue. And then my housemate, she's got three dogs. So in the house, we've got we've got five dogs and one ginger cat between us. So it's great. How does the cat get along with the dogs? It keeps them in line. <laughs> does it? <laughs> he does, he keeps fussy. them in line. Yeah, he's he's great. And he's he's a very laid back cat. He's actually a very doggy cat. And um, and his his favourite is is Ella the Jack Russell though, um, they they absolutely adore each other, which is which is fantastic. So they're besties. They are besties. They snuggle up together and play. They're lovely. <laughs> Sounds amazing. It is it is amazing. It's it's quite ironic because she's a rescue dog, and um, I had real problems getting any rescue to to actually um, let me have a terrier because I had the the crime of having a cat already. Yeah, I would imagine, actually, terriers are particularly sort of uh, very interested in cats. Yeah, they they can be really interested, but I, I have to say, if, if they just asked me, you know, what's my cat like, what what are the plans for introducing them, how are we going to work it, that would have helped. But no, I had I had real problems getting it, and now that, that she's out. there. Yeah, it's, I think it's sometimes the, um, the rules um, don't take into account the individuals that everyone's dealing with. Yeah. They're quite blanketed rules. Yeah, very much, very much. But but she's here now, and so that's the main thing. And was it a Jack Russell Terrier specifically that you were looking for when you were looking to adopt a rescue dog? Yeah, it was actually. It was. It's, it's the only breed I've ever had twice. Because I'm I'm, really? I'm very I'm a little bit super I'm a little bit superstitious. I don't. If 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 I lose a dog, I don't like to think I'm trying to replace that dog. Ah, okay. And so I always go for different breeds. Um. And I had a little Jack Russell called Archie, and he was a, you know, I learned a lot from Archie, shall we say. He he was a firecracker. He was a firecracker <laughs> in every way, shape, and form. But when I lost him, um, I I I really I really missed having that little small big presence in the house. Mm. Um, and 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 well, I'm, I'm I'm giving you a big long story now. But when I, when I had Cherry, um, she came to me as a pup. And I had three other dogs, including Archie at the time, and they were all a similar age. And sadly, within a few years, they all passed away. And so Cherry right. was left as an only dog. And um, 
and I, I was, I was devastated. I thought I can't go through all this again. It's, it was too much at one time, and um, she sadly really mourned the, the loss of the dogs. And even though I've got lots of doggy friends, and we did lots of, lots of, you know, walks with people and visiting people with other dogs, she was, she was very depressed. Um, and despite you know, all my behavioural background, I just I couldn't get her out of it. And so after about eight months, I thought I'm going to have to get her another dog. And so that's when I started thinking, well, what what would I like? And I thought, well, actually, I really miss having a little a little terrier in the house. Yeah. And and so that's that's how Ella Ella arrived. And from the minute they met, Cherry was back to the old Cherry. It was an amazing transformation, glorious. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah, it was, but... it was so good. So, you, because you've not had the same breed twice, mm. would you mind just talking through which breeds have you had so far? So far. <laughs> I like that, so yes. far. I'm always <laughs> yeah, saying, so... this is my last dog, no more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nobody believes me. <laughs> There'll always be another one. There'll always be another one. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I started off with a Shetland Collie. Um, and that was because my mum didn't like dogs. She was a cat person. And the people across the road from us had three little Shelties and they were really well behaved. And so when I finally persuaded her to let me have a dog, that was what it was going to be. Um, as it turns out, I don't believe it was a, a purebred. It was looked more like a, a rough cross Shetland Collie. Right. So that was my first dog. Um, then I had a Springer Spaniel, English Springer. Then I had a large Monsterlander. Um, yeah, fantastic. Um, who did I have after that? Then I had a Bull Terrier Cross Collie. That was we, we think that's what he was. He was a little little mix. I found him on the street, so that was the next one. Then I had um, a good classic mongrel. You know, good bit of collie in there, and who knows what else. A Heinz fifty-seven, a classic one. They're quite hard to come by now, so you know, if you if you find one, you know, keep them close. <laughs> um, and then the Jack Russell, and then the Labrador. So good, a good range. And then and then another Jack Russell. And then another that. Jack Russell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it broke my rule. <laughs> <laughs> she's. Can I just say she's a very different Jack Russell to Archie, though. She's the sweetest, kindest most sociable Jack Russell you could ever meet. She's she's fantastic. Really, really good dog. Yeah, my, my granddad had a Jack Russell a few years ago and it was quite, um, it was a typical Jack Russell. It was very feisty. Yeah, yeah. Very, very nippy. Yeah, they, they, they really can be. And I have to say, you know, I did, I did choose Ella very carefully because of the, the nature of my job. You know, my, my dogs come with me most times when I go around and yeah. and I'm working. So I wanted some something that was going to be really sociable with dogs, with people, um, quiet. You know, not not too woofy. Um, and she she ticks all the boxes and more. She's she's a a, a great um, a great example of the breed. I think of, of what what it can be. Fantastic. I w- I went with uh, uh, a friend of mine. His uh, mother passed away recently and he was looking at getting a dog for some companionship for his father. Mm. Um, and they were looking at breeds and they were looking at the Parson Russell. Yeah. Um, and I had in my mind, I've never really been a terrier person. Um, I, I always found them a little too intense. Yeah. Obviously, as listeners from last week and from our social media accounts will know, um, 
I have an Airedale Terrier, so that completely went say. out the window. <laughs> completely went out the window. Um, but the smaller Terriers have never been something that's appealed too much. But we went to see a, a breeder out in Barnsley, and um, he had um, a litter of Parson Russells. And the mother was a fantastic example um, of a Terrier, just very calm, um, very affectionate, came and sat right by you, not too much, even with all the puppies sort of fussing oh, around. Girl. Not Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And it really changed my mind. It's amazing what kind of stereotypes, I guess, you can see online, on TV Absolutely. and so on about breeds. And actually then when you go and see the breed face-to-face, it can really change. Exactly. And, change it's, and it's, so it's about knowing what you're looking for. You know, if, if if you want a really nice, sociable, happy, friendly dog, you know, Jack Russells are, are fantastic, but, but you you do have to choose the right one. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the, they're, they're not for everyone, but they I, I just, I love their their optimism and, the, and their energy and they're up for anything and oh I just and they're great and you know and they're a good size so that means you can take them everywhere they're, they're fantastic I think I should get a Jack Russell next but I'm a Parson Russell maybe a Parson Russell <laughs> maybe a Parson Russell well you know uh, you know a good breeder now so yes, you know, keep, keep do, that yeah. On, on your yeah keep that That's list it. yeah absolutely um we've got a blog post coming up in a couple of weeks about vulnerable native breeds Mm. Um, one of the things that we've noticed since we created the blog is so many um, account, Instagram accounts and Twitter feeds and so on out there are focused on quite a narrow selection of breeds. There's a lot of Labradors, German Shepherds and so on. Yeah. So it was interesting. I know it's not a vulnerable native breed because it's not native to this country, but it was interesting that you'd had a Monsterlander because you don't see many of those around. No, I, 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 it was part of my prejudice. I was always a big dog person. And um, and I, I loved the Springer. I got a Springer after I was in customs because I'd watched Springers there, and so I, I really liked them. Um, but I always wanted a bigger dog, and and I saw a picture of a large monster lander, and I thought, oh, it's a big Springer. <laughs> and I have to say, they absolutely are not. <laughs> but um, but I, I went and got one, and um, and he he was fantastic. He was my first sort of HPR Hunt Point Retrieve breed. And it's it's a it's a very different skill set with those dogs, um, so I'm I'm so pleased I had him, um, but he he was he was a handful. So what sort of different skill set are you looking at when you're looking at at a HPR? I think I think one of the main things is is kind of the the space and the range that they have. So you know if you if you walk a dog, you expect them to kind of kind of have a, a quite a nice critical distance where they they, they don't go too far from you they they kind of check in on you well, with a lot of the h p r s and certainly my experience with with Munsterlander was that um his was about ten times as as, as far <laughs> as everyone else's and he and he wasn't running away he just he says, "Oh, I've got a stretch now, and he would run and then and he would look, turn back and check in on me, but you know it was I'd get the binoculars out to see him doing it you know so it's it, it that that was quite a a big adjustment, and I found that with with friends one of the the dogs that that my housemate has is a a wire haired pointer cross springer, and he's similar in that that he has that big range you know he he runs and then checks in and he's you know he's 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 much further than the other dogs um but that was the first that I'd really experienced that. And also, he made me really think about my training because he was very, very strict. If if I didn't get the reward or the timing exactly right, he just ignored me. 
he just did what he wanted and I'm like oh I can't train this dog and it was and most of it was down to just me having the wrong rewards in place and the wrong timing so he really honed up my my, my training skills sounds like you both got a lot from it oh he he was an amazing dog and, and he was he was optimistic and, and and hilarious I mean he made me laugh more than any dog I've ever had he was just he was just kind of ridiculous in so many ways but but and it was so rewarding that when I got it right you know he gave back in in, in bucket loads so it that was you know more positive reinforcement than than you know anything else could ever give me yeah and it, in terms of the critical distance that you were talking yeah. about there was that wildly different than from the from the spaniel yeah yeah, so so the spaniel would be you'd be busy and he'd be like you know in the hedgerows and he'd be hunting and he'd be around, but but he he was always much closer, whereas the Munsterlander, you know he was he was just on on a on a different sat nav, you know <laughs> a different <laughs> level completely it, it really was and it was once I I kind of calmed down and realised that he wasn't running away. And then I, I I built in a lot of um, sort of basic gun dog skills. You know, I got a whistle stop in there, a whistle recall, so that I could get a further distance, all those type of things. Um, that that really helped. But it it was most mostly about me misunderstanding what he was doing and why he was doing it. Yeah, sounds very similar to the Airedale with the with the reward system. If you don't get the reward exactly right, yeah, then you can whistle. Yeah, Glitchly. yeah, and. Yeah, literally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I would. I would say so. I would say that that would be that be a great observation because they are they're very down the line. And and I think a lot of people they they label these type of dogs as as they're really stubborn, they're really hard to train. You know, you know they're difficult dogs. And and I I don't think that at all. I think it's just that you have to know what you're doing, and the minute you get it right, they go, oh, we understand now. Fine, that's that's great. We're on the same page. There we go. There you go. So if we take it back a step, they're the dogs that you've had so yeah. far. Um, but what in you were saying that your mom was a cat person, so I'm assuming there weren't any dogs in and around the family when you were younger. What got you into dogs? No, well there was my my grandparents had some dogs. They had my I think my gran had a, a German Shepherd and a Poodle, and so those were the only dogs that I really came in contact with officially. I mean, I, I was I was a little girl that would go and gather all the strays. There were still strays in those days, and I would gather them around the house. And and if, if friends and family had dogs at all, I was the one that would take them for a walk and take them training. I used to walk all my neighbours' dogs, you know. So it was I, I kind of sought out the dogs, even though we didn't have any in the house. So I, I was just always, always drawn to them. And what do you think drew you to them? I don't know. I I think... I really liked the um, being outdoors with them, and I really liked having that companionship, sort of unquestioning companionship. I really liked that as well, um, and and I really I love I love the feel of dogs. I love to touch dogs. <laughs> so that feels very <laughs> wrong, but I love to get my hands on them. I was like, oh, you know, I just I'm one of those people that when you go on a holiday, I need a dog fix because I've not touched a dog for you know, two days. <laughs> <laughs> I know, because yeah. I sound no, very no. strange. But you no, know, no, th- I think there's me. a lot of people out there that that, <laughs> that feel exactly the same way. Um, okay, so you've the Shetland Collie that you originally had was a pet dog. Yeah. At what point did you think actually, you know, I'd I'd like to make my career dog related? Um, 
it, you know, it was quite late on. It really was. I, I always wanted to be a teacher. That was that was what I was going to do. I was going to be a school teacher. Um, but when I got my 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 calling, I, I went to dog training classes, as you do, um, and, and I enjoyed it. And there was always something in the back of my mind I'd, mind I'd like to do something with animals, but I just wasn't sure. I knew I didn't want to be a vet or go down that route, but I just I just wasn't sure. And I was very fortunate that um, I went to an interview with Customs and Excise. Um, it, it was completely, it was, it was very unplanned and it was not how you, you're supposed to do things. But anyway, I turned up at this interview and on the panel was one of my neighbours. And he was um, talking to me and asking me questions. And at one point in the interview, he said, um, have you ever thought about um, being a drugs dog handler? And I suddenly started to pay attention and, and looked at him and thought, why would you ask me that? And what is that? And that was the first time I'd actually thought about how I could make a living working with dogs. And it turns out that he was one of the neighbours that would see me walk down past his house with all the dogs in the street. So oh. I was the one that he always saw. And so when he saw me coming for the interview, he made the connection, not me. And so at that point, I thought, yeah, I want to do dog training. And, and looking back, it was the obvious thing to do because I wanted to be a teacher and I wanted to work with dogs. But at no point did I ever put those two together and think, oh, I could be a dog trainer. Right. So, you know, not the brightest. Uh, what, what year was this? This was in 1984. 1984. 1984. Yeah, in, the, in the olden days. In the olden days. <laughs> <laughs> so you started at Customs and Excise. Yeah. Mid-80s. Yeah. And what was that like? Exciting. Exciting. Um, I was lucky enough to work um, mostly in Scotland, which for a customs officer in those days was really great because we got to do everything. We weren't stuck in an airport or stuck at a, a ferry port. So I got to go and search oil rigs and ships and planes and beaches and houses and baggage and all sorts of things. Um, and I got to work at Heathrow and Hull Docks, Manchester Airport, all over the place. So it was it was a really exciting time, really exciting. Wow. Yeah, it was a great job. So, And who was training you? Did you have like a, a mentor... We, that at that time, um, the customs dogs were trained and the handlers were trained by the Royal Air Force Police. So we were sent there um, for, I think it was 17 weeks. And it was up, I run it down, down near, near more where I am now in Nottingham. Um, and we were sent there and we were trained by the RAF police. And then we went back to our home station. So mine was Glasgow. I uh, went back with your with your dogs, and that's you two fully trained after seventeen weeks, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and then once 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 I got got there, then my fellow dog handlers, you know, they helped me. They helped me a great deal. So it was it was wonderful. So they didn't send you out alone into the field. There was always a group. No, of you. no, because you're always working with somebody else. As as a as a dog handler, you again. This this is probably changed but in my day we worked with all the different teams so if we were going to search a ship 
we'd go and search with the team that, that, that specialise in ship searches, or if we were searching a plane at the airport, then it would be with the airport staff. Um, and if it was something, it was a big job, then you'd be working with, with several dog handlers. So it was it was always a team effort, but that you were you were the mobile sort of element of the team. Right. So they had the detail of the ship or the air, yeah, the aircraft, and they sort of showed you the bits where you may want to focus, and then yeah. you send the dog in. They had the intelligence of um, you know what was happening in the area, of what was risky, you know, so whether it would maybe be a a ship coming from Jamaica or a plane coming from Holland or whatever, and then they would task you to go and search it. And then as the dog handler, um, you would go in and you would search those areas before anyone else went in there. So before it was disturbed, you'd always be the first one on there. Ah. And when you listed your previous pet dogs, were you working Mm. with a pet dog or did you have a, a pet dog and then a separate work colleague? dog um let me think uh no i didn't have a dog at the time i didn't have a dog at the time and so you are you are given a dog um when you go on your training course so at that time the royal air force police they owned the dogs and they were given on permanent loan to hm customs and right. so that's you know, i just was me and that dog and that's we, we worked together exclusively so that dog didn't work for any other handlers and i didn't work any other dogs so i just worked with that i mean i, I think i worked with about four um teamed up with four different dogs during my time in, in customs but we, we basically just worked with the one dog and then that dog stayed in kennels they didn't come home with us officially um they, they stayed in, in the kennels while we were um not at work right all spaniels uh, yes, I I worked exclusively Springer Spaniels. From a time there was a tiny little one that I had for a short period before he retired. I mean, he was he was tiny. He was probably not much bigger than my Jack Russell, just leggier. Um, to one that was that was really it was big as a Labrador. So yeah, what wow. I worked yeah, but all Springers. I was all much springers. fitter in those days. Yeah. I could I could run around <laughs> with them. <laughs> and how long did you do that for? So you started that in the mid eighties, and when did you leave? I left. Um, the start of the 90s, I think 91. Okay. Yeah. And the reason for leaving? A reason for leaving was I, I was a little bit frustrated in, in my career, actually, because I, you couldn't, you couldn't advance within customs and still work dogs. There was only this, this one, this one grade that you could work your dogs at. So I wanted to advance my career, um, but I couldn't do that if I couldn't work dogs. And so I said, well, if I can't work dogs then I'm going to leave. <laughs> so I did. I'm quite headstrong that way. So you left to where? Um, I left to nothing. I left to nothing. Um, right. But very quickly I managed to get a job with um, hearing dogs for deaf people and became a trainer with them. Amazing. Yeah, and I just all I did was I just wrote a letter. So, you know, if anyone out there is wondering how, how I get these jobs you know, you just, you've got to put yourself out there. So I just, I just wrote a letter to a whole variety of different animal charities saying that I was, I was, you know, looking for employment um, and did any of them have any vacancies? And, and they came back and said, yes, we do come for an interview. So I was, again, very lucky. The the six to seven years of experience with the uh, Customs and Excise Department probably helps there. Oh, big, big style, <laughs> big style. <laughs> that that was with a lot of jobs, I have to say. A lot of kudos from uh, yeah. from working yeah. as well. Yeah, really good experience. You know that that you get there, a good all round experience. So um, so yeah, they, they were they were very, 
very happy to, to give give me a job. So that was great. That was very different. How did you find the Hearing Dogs one? It was okay. I I I struggle with it a little bit. I struggle with with um some of the the work done by assistance dogs and therapy dogs because I don't I don't find that the um the dog is maybe given as much consideration as it might mm. that it's much more person centered and I, and I struggle a little bit with that so so I only did it for a year but it, it was great experience to be able to to go and actually work dogs and meet people that that have um issues that can be helped by by having a dog with them so it, I mean it was it was very enriching um, but that that's why I didn't stay for, for, you know, more than a year. It seems like they have more fun with the scent detection. Oh, God, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, 100%. And from the hearing dogs one, where did you go after that? Oh, God. Uh, hearing dogs. Um, and then I did a little bit of... Um, Oh yeah, I did a little bit of work with with guide dogs, um, just kind of just doing some respite care. So while um, the guide dog owners went on holiday, if they had a, a trained guide dog or one in puppy training, then I would do some continuity training with them. So that was just as a volunteer. So again, that was good. It was still sort of in that line, but um, a little bit a little bit different. And then I started doing my own training. I when I was in hearing dogs, I met um, Dr. Ian Dunbar. And he's uh, sort of started really was the, the catalyst for starting puppy training classes. And so I started doing puppy training classes and, and that was the first time I sort of went self-employed. So you, be, you became a, a pet dog pet trainer dog at that point? Yeah, yeah. Or human trainer, should we say. It's more about training the humans, I guess. Well, it's, it's both. It's both. You get, you get the benefit of working with the dogs as well as the, as well as the people. Completely, completely. It's, it's, it's an all-round experience. It's great. And how long was it before you started the puppy training, before you sent up, set up Talking Dogs, and how did that come about? Um, well, Talking Dogs came later because um, I, I did the classic. I did the classic of kind of throwing myself into being self-employed um, and and doing it with, with something that I really loved, which was working with dogs and people, and uh, I burnt out. I burnt out and I actually stopped doing dog training altogether, um, went off and did a degree. And about halfway through the degree, I rediscovered my love of dog training. <laughs> um, it's very different when you're not having to pay the mortgage with it. And it, I yes. think it just took the pressure off because you know the, the, kind of running a business is more about kind of everything that goes on around as well as just doing the actual thing that you have a passion for. And so I think that, that, you know, I learned a lot of hard lessons there and I had to take a step back. Um, but, but, but by doing that, that allowed me to find out, OK, what do I really like and how do I do that better next time? So I, I, I did that, um, started dog training again, um, went and worked at um, an animal shelter um, as a behaviourist there for, for a while. And then when I left that job, that's when I, I set up Talking Dogs. Ah, what, if you don't mind me asking, what was the degree in? Was that canine related in any way? No, it was consumer and trading standards. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I really did not want anything to do with animals. <laughs> right, you'd really had enough at that I'd point. I'd really had enough. But, you know, if, if you want to know your consumer rights about anything, you know, I'm, I'm your woman. You're the person to contact. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you. Could I can tell own. you about your contracts. I can tell you if you can take something back to m and I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. 
I know it's it's very it's very strange. I, I actually use it more than you'd think. The knowledge that I gained <laughs> doing that degree because it's everyday stuff. It's yeah. everyday stuff, you know. It's you know it's PPI claims and it's extortionate credit card rates and it's it's all that sort of stuff as well. So it's it's I am I'm really pleased I did it. It was it was really interesting, but. But by the end of it, I realised that no, I really don't want to do that. I want to be, I want to be immersed in, in the world of dogs. In a parallel universe, somewhere you you may be the the Martin Lewis of the United <laughs> oh, Kingdom. If if I had his millions, that would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so you've you finished the degree. Yep. You've part time took back up dog training, which now you're having a bit more fun with because the the pressure's off. It's not the be all and end all. Yep. Where's what? What's in that gap there between that stage and setting up talking dogs? Uh, working for uh, Wood Green Animal Shelters. Okay. So that's what that's what brought me down to to live live in Peterborough. Right. So they were looking for. They never had a behaviourist before, and so they were looking. It was a new position, and so I came and did that, and that's what brought me down here. So so that was that was what introduced me to the fens, which I had no knowledge of at all before I moved here. Yeah. <laughs> it is a particularly remote part of the UK, isn't it? Do you know, but it's lovely. I love it. I love it. I love walking the dogs and be able to see for miles. I love not trudging up hills every time I go out. I love the sunshine and not getting rained on every day. I love it. See, that that is literally the exact opposite of uh, of myself. I, I like I hate it if I can see flat land for ages oh, and no. I need to see ups and downs and hills and I don't mind the rain so much anymore since we've had the dog oh no oh no I see yeah. I just I, I like to see who's coming I like to be able to see you know do they look you know like nice people with dogs or is there somebody I want to avoid uh, you know, oh yeah I love all that side of it you see yes Every, everyone thought that I would find it really boring I mean coming from Scotland I come from the west coast of Scotland so you know I'm used to, I'm used to the, you know the hills of Glencoe and right. you know Loch Lomond was where I was my regular dog walk. Oh, so people said, "Oh, you'll hate there. it." It yeah. is beautiful, and I love it. I do adore it, and I, I love going back. But but you know, if if only it had some sunshine, then I might think about moving back there for for good. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's not particularly sunny. Although I used to work in a in another capacity with a, a business that was based on the Isle of. I want to say Mull. Mull? Mull's beautiful. That's my favourite island. And they have like palm trees because of the Gulf Stream. Yeah, there are little pockets everywhere. Yeah. There's this one, there's a little, um, uh, I think I think it's on Mull actually. There's a little beach that when you go to, you can kind of walk through sort of wind and rain and you get to the beach and suddenly it's like a little little microclimate in there and it's, and it's really nice. So... I, I, I think it's more. I can't remember the name, but but yeah. I mean, and it, Scotland is beautiful. I, I think it is the most beautiful country in the world. I, I think it's glorious. I love but, Scotland. You know, I'm not. I'm not quite ready to go back there yet. No. One day, you never know. One day. We'll so we'll see what happens with Brexit. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to go down the Brexit let's route. Not, let's yeah, not. Let's not. It's I'm not just a political to... podcast. <laughs> just as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So the the spark, what sparked Talking Dogs? What was the bit where you went, hold on, this is the business that I could do and it would be amazing? Um, I think I think it was just just my my love of my love of training with dogs and working with them and and all all the jobs that I'd had since um, 
since working in customs and even with customs you, you obviously you're working with people a lot um and i think it was that that kind of interaction between people and dogs and the communication between both that i really enjoyed and i thought well that's that's what i love to do um and and let's 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 just do that for for yourself um pick pick the parts of it that i love the most and and really concentrate on doing them and so i i picked up a lot of what i used to do when i was self employed you know, so I was doing the puppy classes, adolescent classes, follow-on classes. I was doing behavioural consults on vet referral. You know, so I was doing one-to-one. So I was doing the whole gamut um, and just really get, getting back into it and really immersing myself in it. Um, and that's that's really where we sort of Talking Dogs Limited sort of came from. Okay. And then you focused in on the scent aspect of it. And so for those of... Uh the people listening to the podcast that don't know what Talking Dogs scent work is, um, do you want to describe what it is that you do as part of Talking Dogs scent work? Yeah, what Talking Dogs scent work is, is where I teach pet dogs and their people um, how to search for specific scents just for fun. So there's no competitions, um, there's no selection, every dog can do it. So if you've got a dog that's got three legs, you've got a dog that's blind, you've got a person in a wheelchair, you've got a little child, you've got an older person, every single person and dog can do it. Um, And so that's what I love about it and that's why everything else started to fall by the wayside. So the classes stopped the behavior work stopped everything else stopped so that i could dedicate everything to scent work i i think it's it's the best all-round thing you can do with your dog i think it's i think it's amazing and and i used it for years in my behavior work and my training work without even really realizing that that's what i was doing it was it was a great epiphany when a a great friend of mine um, suggested, well, why don't you t- start teaching scent work in your classes? And I I turned around and said, well, I don't think people would be interested in that. So that's how much I knew. And how wrong you were. I know. I was very, very delighted to be proved so wrong. I, I started introducing it in my classes and then we got to the point where people didn't want to do anything else in the class apart from the scent work. <laughs> you know, I'd say, well, well, we'll add a little bit of scent work at the end. And they said, no, no, no. Can we, can we do more scent work? And oh, yeah. at that point, I was like, OK, this this has got legs. So much fun. Oh, it's just the best. It's just the best. I think I think being able to work with your dog in, in a in a genuine team where you've both got your roles to play, neither is better than the other, and that you've got to respond to each other as as you're working. It, it's it's a feeling that I, I don't get with anything else that I do with dogs. It's you, you get really in in a little zone with your dog. Um, I mean I remember it vividly when I was in customs that I mean I was I was really shy and I am really shy. And, uh, you know, public speaking is not one of the things that I love to do. And so working a dog when everyone else has to stop what they're doing while you do your work. So as a customs officer, maybe, you know, everyone in the dock has to stop working while I go and search something. And, and having those eyes on you, the thought of that would be terrifying. But the minute I'd start working with my dog, I'd forget about all that. Mm. Um, and and I think to be able to share that with other people that they can just go out and work with the dog and have fun and, and forget about everything else for 10 minutes, half an hour, however long it takes um, is, is, is so joyful it, 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 I guess it builds confidence and trust in that relationship between you and, and your dog 
it it does and it does more than more than anything else and faster than anything else you know if you've got a a dog from rescue for example you want to start to build your relationship scent work is great it's you know i mean and and i'll talk specifically about my scent work talking dog scent work so it's it's non-compulsive so the dog doesn't have to do it the dog's not forced to do anything um the dog is fully supported at all times so we we give the dog the opportunity to search and the opportunity to be successful and we support them to do that but if they don't want to do it they don't have to do it i have to say i've never had a dog that said no you know you've you've got to set it up just right for them um and then and then once they start to work and they say oh my goodness you want to do be involved with something that i love to do straight away you've got a spark and you've got a commonality there and from that point on you know everything just blossoms it's it's so wonderful that's amazing it's 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 really emotional it's really emotional i i you know when i teach workshops it's not uncommon that i have a little tear in my eye as i watch uh, a partnership form it's it's magical the relationship just flourishes it just flourishes it just it's on common ground it's not i do you say it's not you know i'll stand back and let you do all the work it's it's a genuine partnership so on a daily basis now um how does it work for you what what does a typical day look like for you um a surprising amount of the days spent in front of a computer actually <laughs> you know the all the, the the work that has to be done to let people know what you're doing and to tell them about the workshops and to tell them you know about the courses and to tell them what's out there that actually takes up a lot of time in the business um you know and then then you've got your writing of the courses which is is the creative side which i love um, so I'm devising courses, writing masterclasses. Um, you know, I could be editing videos. I could be um, rewriting. So, you know, writing books, writing articles, writing blogs. So that, that actually takes up more time these days for me than, than actually hands-on with the dogs. So when I get to go and do a workshop, it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a nice relief just to, to get back out there and, and get working. And you, you have a, a network of uh, trainers that work for talking dogs that are based regionally yeah yeah they 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 came on board because i i, I physically couldn't be everywhere that that i was being asked to go you know so at, at one point you know i was working every weekend all through the week and i was i was up and down the country you know i could be up in scotland i could be down in jersey i could you know i could be all over the place and there was only so much that i could physically get to um, and so I started thinking about how to how to help more people access, you know, the, the courses um, and started very carefully choosing people to, to come on board um, and, and help, you know, for what we say, we, we, we help spread the scent work love. So, you know, I wanted people that had the same sort of mindset and and, you know, really had experience and understanding of what it takes to be a scent work trainer you know it's not just a a technique that they come on for a day or, or a week and learn this is what you do and off you go and teach people you know these people all have great backgrounds in, in teaching and education and, and behavior so that they can give the, the full package and really understand um, what what clients want when they come to a class and what they need sounds absolutely fantastic so if, if somebody was interested in picking up on the scent work stuff. How how would they go about that? To what to be a trainer? Uh, well, just to be um, if if they were interested in wanting to attend one of the classes, 
and you've got oh, your okay, people. Well, where, where can they find out more information? Yeah, the, just go to scentwork.com. So that's our website, scentwork.com. Um, and on that, you'll find everything. That's that's kind of our hub of information. So you can find sort of where, where, where trainers are. Is there somebody in your area? You can go to our workshops page and you can find out what workshops they're holding and when. Uh, and, and the way that we work it is that that we have um, a, a kind of a, a plan and a syllabus that we have. So that if you go to Ascent 1, which is the first workshop, and then you look and you see the next date for the next Ascent 2, which is the following one, but you can't make it, you could attend Ascent 2 anywhere else in the country and the workshops will slot together. Right. So that means that it, you can you can fit the, the times and the dates and the locations in to your schedule, but all the workshops will slot together. So while all the trainers have their own personalities and every workshop um, will be structured around the dogs that attend. So, you know, we, we, we're very happy to have dogs that maybe got um, reactivity issues or their their anxiety is, is maybe preventing them coming from from other workshops or events. We're very happy to accommodate them. The, the actual the core syllabus will be the same so that people can can mix and match where they go and when they go as to suit them okay and if there's no trainer nearby to them is, is there an alternative yeah. this this was something that, that really concerned me so so we again we can only get to so many places and and, and if people have maybe can't travel or they've got commitments that mean that they can't give a whole day out to to going in and doing some dog training um then um they can come and do our online courses so our online courses are at detectordog.co.uk and that will take you right from the start, right from Scent 1. So that's on the Teach Your Dog to Sniff class. And the the way this works is that you'll have a series of lectures and it'll be me talking. So if you don't like my voice, don't sign up. <laughs> um, <laughs> and luckily, some of the videos will feature my face as well. So, you know, you're going to have to deal with that. But you'll, you'll see me take you through all the steps and all the stages. Um, and and whatever, whatever you want to do, however far you want to go with that, the, we've got different courses that will take you through. And we've got two really special courses that I really want to talk about as well. Um, we've got one for puppy scent work and we've got one for senior scent work. So one of the things about scent work is, is it's, you, there's no age restrictions. So, you know, if you've got an older dog, for example, there's no reason that that dog can't still learn things. It can't still participate in something that brings joy. You know, they don't have to just spend their whole life saying, well, you know, I'm a bit arthritic and so I can't go big walks and therefore my, my brain's not going to be doing anything. You, you can still do scent work with that dog. And so we've got a course specifically for them. And then we've also, at the other end of the scale, got a course for little puppies. So again, it's never too early to start to start scent work training with your puppy. Um, and, and you'll find lots of benefits from doing that, that, that sets up that good relationship right from the start of your, of your journey together. So the, all that, all those online courses are available to, to everyone, actually all over the world. So we've got people in lots of different countries that, that take part in these. Um, thanks to detectordog.co.uk, that's like that's their central hub that they can go to and 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 just just get involved that way. So the, there is specific content that differs from puppy to adult to senior, and it's tailored to the the age of the dog in terms of the activities that they would do. Yeah, 
I mean, I mean, if you've if you've just got you know you've you've not got a, a puppy or you've not got a, a senior dog, then just start and teach your dog to sniff, and that will take you right. through all the steps to get you started. Once you've done that course, um, or the puppy scent work course, or the senior scent work course, from that point on, then you can then move on to the next courses, and the next courses will teach you how to to think about your handling skills. How to think about safety, how to think about um, working your dog in different areas, different heights. Um, we've got courses on specific searches like searching vehicles. We've got one on searching baggage, you know, so if you want to you know, get your suitcases and your bags there, we've got a specific course on that. So it's, 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 it's if you can get to a workshop, these things are included in your workshop. But for many more people that can't get to the workshops, then this distills what we do in the workshop um, into into sort of manageable chunks that you can do at your own pace at home. Okay, that's fantastic. And it, I noticed on the website you've got one module um, where you even get to go to some kind of abandoned train yard. Yeah, this is this is on our workshops. This is our sent four. Our sent four workshops are just the best fun. So on a scent four, by that point, you've, you've taught your dog how to find a specific scent. You've started to think about how you're going to work your dog so you've got good support systems in place about how you handle them, how you keep them safe if they're working high. Um, you know how to, to, to sort of risk, risk um, assess an area before you go in. So our scent fours are where you actually go outside and it's, it's kind of most similar to working um, a professional dog. Because you're going, and so for example, I, I have a place called Real World in Peterborough, um, and that's that's a great place. We've got steam trains that we can search. We've got all sorts of things that you can, that you not don't usually come across on your dog walks or your dog courses, and but we offer them to search. I went on one recently, and one of my trainers, Lindsay, um, she had a workshop at um, Ripon Racecourse. And so I was like, I'm going to go out and see that. That's got to be good. And so we, we, we got access to the whole race course and we were out there searching the stands and searching everything with our dogs. It was it was great fun. That really does sound amazing. I bet there's lots of people out there listening thinking, I would love to take my dog to <sighs> an abandoned train yard or a race course and actually play at doing the actual job. Completely. Um, with, I mean, it's, it's exactly... It's exactly what, what what you know you would do you know so if so if the sports teams we we also use we've got we use Farnborough um, football ground we use Inverness football ground and so it's you know it's 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 what your police dogs would do before you know before um, people start to come in you know they they check the area they make sure it's clear you know um, and and that's you get a chance to experience that for yourself so the scent fours are just the best fun. Brilliant. Okay. Um, one question that we always like to ask the people who, who come on the podcast is if you were prime minister what one dog related thing would you make mandatory i think that people if you want to have a dog in your life and in your home i think you should learn to communicate with them so i think learning about body language learning what the dogs are saying how the dogs are are trying to to understand you and how you can understand them i think that that's key to it i think lack of understanding and lack of knowledge of what dogs are saying to us you know dogs are talking all the time and and we just quite often don't know how to listen or we don't understand what they are saying to us so i think if everyone could go on some sort of canine communication course where they could actually learn you know to identify when their dog is scared anxious excited joyful worried you know not understanding what's happening confused i think that would make dogs life so much better 
So kind of like a driving test for owning a dog. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. We, we've we did a blog post a couple of weeks ago about um, books that we we think of every dog owner should have on their shelf, and one of the ones that we recommend is um, Torrid Rugas, the um, Calming Signals. Calming Signals, yeah. I mean, anything that, that actually helps you look at your dog and really think about what are they doing. And I mean, there's some great courses out there on, on dog la- body language. I mean, Sarah Whitehead, um, she does some really great courses on, on body language so you can specifically see what dogs are doing, what they're saying, why they're saying it. And I th- I think that if, if people could sign up for something like that, I think it would be so helpful. That would help them understand why their dog does what they do. And also it would make our dog's life so easy because I think... More times than not, our dogs are, are, are frantically trying to tell us and communicate with us to say, I really am scared of that. Please don't make me do that. Or I don't know, understand what you're trying to, to ask me to do. And I think if we got that, that communication flowing much more freely and, and a really good feedback loop, I think it would make everyone's lives easier and, 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 and greatly increase animal welfare. Fantastic. And so the opposite of that is what one dog related thing would you outlaw? Well, I'm going to I'm going to cheat and say two things. <laughs> Every, everybody <laughs> seems to be cheating. Yes, everyone seems to be cheating. I mean, I'm going to say the obvious one, and I think that that most people in, in that's a dog professional would would absolutely say that you you want to get rid of the Dangerous Dogs Act. That you know that's that's an, an absolute abomination. Um, so I'm I'm going to guess that a lot of people will say that. Um, but the one thing that I would absolutely outlaw would be the use of electric shock collars and pinch collars. They've got no place in training and absolutely shouldn't be allowed um, as as part of of anyone's training toolkit. So why would I would completely outlaw them and ban them? So that I, I didn't realise that wasn't already outlawed actually. So that that is still fine. It's a shocker for you to go out and buy an electric shock collar yeah. in twenty nineteen. Absolutely outrageous. It is outrageous, isn't it? It should have been banned long, long ago. Um, I know that the different nations around the UK are trying to 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 kind of instill some sort of bans. Um, England seems to be sort of the last on the list. I think Wales is doing the best. Scotland pulled back a bit. Um, so it's still something that needs to be addressed, and that that needs to be um, not an option, not an option at all. No, I would guess it would be easiest to ban the sale of them, if anything else, and then it it doesn't Definitely. matter people trying to buy them. It, they're banned to purchase yeah that would that would that certainly be the, the first step i mean they're they're so easy to get and cause so much damage um and people say oh well you know they're all right in the right hands there are no right hands you know there's this there's no excuse to, to to use a to use such such a, a device for people listening then um who might not know what's so bad about a shot collar what what is it that's that's so bad about shot collars why should they be made illegal they should be made illegal because they're specifically designed to cause pain and discomfort as a way of training a dog. And so if you, know, if, if you want a dog to come back to you, then you know, if it ignores you, the idea is that you, that you press a button, the dog gets a warning sound. And then if the dog doesn't miraculously figure out what you want it to do, it's uh, uh, an electric shock is delivered to the dog. Um, most shock collars have various levels. Um, so it's people can you know ramp it up from sort of one to eight to nine um without really knowing what they're doing or why they're doing it um and it's it's a it's a completely inappropriate way to to try and teach a dog anything except to be afraid of you sounds barbaric it is completely barbaric and you know if you're using that you 
you know that it means that you've got a, a gap in your knowledge that, that you need to go and figure out okay I, rather than going to something that's going to cause the dog pain and discomfort I need to figure out what do I need to learn in order to be able to teach my dog what I want it to do mm. and just going back to the dangerous breeds act dangerous dogs Act. dangerous yeah. dogs act so what is yeah. it specifically about that that you take it, umbrage with everything <laughs> where to start. i'm sure that that's a podcast on its own <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing you know from from it's it's so badly written it's badly conceived it doesn't actually protect what what it's meant to protect you know it's it, it targets it targets breeds rather than behavior it's it's just an absolute abomination it needs to be scrapped and and you know started again Start from the very beginning. Start from scratch and you know, speak to people that actually know what they're talking about. It, is that the one where it says if you have a, a specific breed like an American pit bull, then you have yeah. to have a muzzle on it in public? Yeah. Is, have I got that right? Yeah. Yeah, breed-specific legislation. So there's, there's, set, there's four banned breeds in there, and if you have that dog um, or you're deemed to have that dog, there is no absolute definition of of for example a pit bull an american pit bull mm. and so um dogs that happen to look like that that have lived very happily without any problem at all um can be taken from your home put in kennels and ultimately destroyed so yeah that's i'm I'm familiar with I've, I've sort of heard stories of that before but it, yeah. so is there stuff outside of that within that legislation that's also problematic yeah i mean there's, there's things like um if if your dogs are out of control in public now i i'm a great believer in in the more that i can train my dog the more freedom it can have i also believe that if you have your dog in public that it shouldn't be um cause any trouble to anybody else mm-hmm. you know that's nobody else's is concern if you've got your dog out you keep to yourself you don't you know you don't let your dog jump on other people scare other people's dogs you know bite their children you know that's absolutely not allowed um, but the way that it's worded and the way that it's uh, they try to enforce it is not effective. So, for example, if my dog was off the lead in a park, for example, and I saw somebody, um, I might think, well, I'm going to call my dog back to me so that I've got my dog on the lead because they've not got a dog and so they might not be comfortable with a dog running around them. Mm-hmm. So as I call my dog, my dog comes back immediately. It runs past them on the way um, to come to get me. They might be worried that that dog was running towards them. And so therefore they could say that the dog is causing them fear or distress and they thought that they might be in danger. And so they could then say, well, I'm going to report you for that, for having an out-of-control dog, even though I was calling my dog back Mm. to, to put my dog under control. I'm getting flashbacks of uh, my Airedale as a puppy <laughs> and thinking. Yeah, it's there was scary, many isn't it? a time that that yeah. would have been. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it's 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 very badly worded and it's and it's very wide in its scope, um, and so it's. It, I just I just think it it's it's beyond fixing. I think it really needs to be. You know, some some new legislation has to come in, and this one has to go. Um, I think that the public should be protected from from dogs, and and you know, it's it, it is an issue to have you know dogs dogs running free that are not under control. Mm. And as a, as a dog owner, as a dog professional, I don't want to see that. Never mind somebody who might be frightened of dogs or who just you know, doesn't want to interact with a dog that day. 
Um, you know, so I've got, I've got no problem with that, but I have a big problem with how it's how it's actually um, written down and how it's in legislation at the moment. Understandably. Yeah, but you know, it's it's a big job for somebody else to do. <laughs> <laughs> so if they come knocking on your door saying, "Look, we want to rewrite the whole thing," but <sighs> you know, you've got all this experience, we'd love to get your thoughts on it. Your answer would be, "I'll always I'll always give some input." Okay. I thought you'd <laughs> say I'm... that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not going to write it for them, but you know, I'll, I'll always give my input. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I think that's about um, it for the podcast. I guess there is uh, I, the only other question that I have for you is just going back to the breed stuff that we were talking about before. Mm. Um, you've owned quite a few different breeds, and I was wondering if there was any breeds that you hadn't owned or hadn't worked with that's always intrigued you. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, trying to think, I I do. Yeah, I was gonna say I like a hound. I've never actually had a hound of my own. I've fostered some, so I fostered beagle mix, and I've I've worked yeah. with some professionally um, in rescue and things. But I've never I've never owned one. That would that would be that would might be interesting. Um, to to be honest, I'm not I'm not that interested in, in specific breeds as such which sounds i know sounds a little bit contrary but it's i i, I like to i like to deal with individuals so it's it, it's much more individual dogs and um size is quite a consideration for me i like i have a bad back so i wouldn't have a dog that that's going to be really big and really physical no bloodhounds no bloodhounds. <laughs> well, I, I dealt with a few bloodhounds when I worked in rescue, and they are strong. My goodness, um, you know. So, so, so from a personal standpoint, I wouldn't necessarily want to work with with something physical now. You know, in the past, absolutely, but but not now. Um, so, and I, and I, and I, I, you know, I like I like dogs that that make me work a little bit, but I also like dogs that that are sociable i'm not looking for a project you know i've 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 had my time of having dogs where you're working through issues and you're working through projects you know i think i'm at a stage in in my life where where i really like to just have a dog for fun take it easy to take it easy you know it's i i don't necessarily always you know when i was when i was doing behavior i didn't always want to come home and after a day of, of helping people solve their problems and then have to work on my own dog's problems um Obviously, that's something that I did, and it's something that that gave me greater insight into what people are dealing with. You know, my, my Jack Russell had, had various different aggression issues, and so living with that and knowing the the strain that that puts on puts on life um, is is a great insight rather than just being told or, or just being taught it in a course. Um, but but as it is now, you know, I'm I'm very happy to to have dogs that that um, that, that we're, we're working and growing together. Um, we're both living with each other's foibles, but we're not actually trying to change each other. We're just trying to understand each other more. Okay. Well, that seems like a fantastic place to finish. We're just about out of time. Uh, yeah, thank thanks. you ever so much for coming on the podcast. That was a, a fascinating um, podcast. I'm, I'm pretty sure all our listeners will agree. Um, I, I guess the last thing is, if anybody wants to find out more or, or contact you in any way, what? how do they get in touch? Con- 
yeah, best way to get in touch is through um, scentwork.com. Um, my email's on there. Um, you know, if, if you look on social media, I'm under Scentworker. So Scentworker on Instagram, um, Facebook, Pinterest, uh, Twitter. You know, if you're trying to avoid me, you, you're going to have you're going to have a, a job to do that. <laughs> um, but but I'm, I'm very happy to respond to anyone's questions um, um, and, and, and help them get get their dog sniffing. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Pam McKinnon from Talking Dog Scent Work.